And maybe some of you might say, you know what, I want to talk, I want to tell you about the ten stories that, that I repeat. It's like they're family stories. We maybe, we maybe haven't written them down, but we, we tell them. Like when we get together, those stories sometimes, they come out. And, and, and maybe they're even like, they're funny stories. Maybe there's aspects of them that you're like, oh, that was a little bit frightening. Remember when that happened? So it might be photos, it might be stories, but people have a tendency to center their minds around like certain things that kind of stand out and um, that, that are valuable in, in the sense of like rem- in, in remembering and capturing your history and then you kind of pass it down. And, and that's something I think that's really valuable. My older brother would talk to, one of, uh, to his son about our grandfather. And they would tell stories. And he would tell stories. And then they would tell the stories to everyone. And, and, and thought, when my boys kind of get a little bit older, and as they have, we'll start telling those stories. Um, Today, when we're looking at this, this particular chapter, it's just a series of stories. Uh, Stories about the kingdom and what it's like. Uh, Most of it's good. Some of it's not so good here. But, But, and sometimes it's really brief. It's just a little short thing. But it's just kind of helping you understand and kind of grasp aspects of the kingdom now if I were to sit down with my boys and tell stories about my grandfather one would be and I've told you all about them right about driving after a squirrel hunt driving by this house seeing smoke come up from a house him jumping out of his truck running up to the house that was on fire and beating on the door getting this woman out of the fire Another story would be about us going to Bee Lake on Millwood Lake and going out there, going through all the stumps and getting out there and fishing in Bee Lake late in the summer and catching uh, sand bass over and over and over and over, just filling the boat. So I would have all, well, those stories are not necessarily connected, like, and they're not in order. They're, they're not, and they're, they may be kind of connected, but they're not like, there, you could say, well, your grandfather was an outdoorsman and he took you with him. You know, it's kind of that way. But I don't even know which one happened first. It doesn't matter. And so sometimes I think it's just important for you to say, when I'm reading the Bible and they're putting together, whether it's the Gospels or some historical uh, truths, like you just have to say sometimes, like the, the point is not to give you a chronological, when he was three years and two months, this happened, and at four years and seven months, this happened. So hopefully that'll help you. Of the Spirit, writing out these things to help you chooses the things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he thinks will help you grasp it. And that would be uh, the way maybe to think about that. I, I think that's been helpful for me uh, as I, I read things. And so I hope that will help you as you look at this. And now, so remember, David has, is, um, he's become king in Judah and now and, and there was kind of this resistance to that. Now all of Israel is going to come under David's reign. 
They're, they're going to submit really to God's rule. And they therefore like submit to David. And it's going to be a, a wonderful thing. Remember, the resistance was tied to a man named Abner who is now dead. And Ishbosheth, who he had made one of Saul's sons king, who is now dead. And so now we're left with David and the rest of Israel. And they come under his authority and leadership. And so that's kind of, we're getting a glimpse into the kingdom. We're seeing these episodes in the kingdom. And uh, there are four things, four terms that would come to my mind when I think about that. The first is stability. The second one is prosperity. The third is blemish. You might be like, oh, that's not real cool, right? The fourth is defense. So those four things, we'll look at them uh, this morning, and hopefully you'll kind of see snapshots of the kingdom and what it was like. So, number one, stability in verses uh, five or chapter five, verses one through ten. So here's the deal: the tribes decide to come up to him, like they're they're going to come in to to see David. They're coming to the place where the king is. And they're coming saying like, we're coming under your rule, under your authority. So they first speak to him and this is what they say. We are your bone and flesh. It might be a way to say we are your family. Like that, that might be one way of saying that. It might also be uh, kind of like pulling to this idea of like, we are your body. We are uh, intimately kind of associated with you. And in light of something like that, you might say, and you are our head. So they're bowing down before him, coming under his authority. So they're going to speak of that relationship. As I said, even when Saul was king, you remember those days? Especially as Saul kind of progressed in his kingdom you would see pictures of Saul like sitting under a tree, holding his spear in his hand, like spinning it. That's what I think. But like ready to thrust it through like whoever came along that kind of made him mad. But the one out there kind of protecting the kingdom, fighting. And again, just remember, uh, in this time, it's not like he's making a phone call saying like, get the missiles ready. It's not that it's like hand-to-hand combat. These are a small group of people. David runs around fighting for the kingdom with six hundred men. It's not like this massive thing, and so he's at the forefront of the battle. It's not again. It's not like someone sitting back and they're orchestrating this thing from a. a, You might say it's not twenty-first century kind of warfare. So they said, "Listen, you were the one." leading us out and bringing us in now this is kind of an interesting thing this has elements of like shepherding you're taking us out bringing us back in you're over you're watching over us you were the one shepherding us while he was the shepherd by name you were shepherding God has said it, this is like the promise made to David you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over them so the people first say like 
we're a part of your, your body or our relationship is one of intimacy, like we're family kind of. And then you've been shepherding us. And on top of that, God has given you that role. Again, they're kind of like not only coming under David's authority, they are also coming under God's authority. Everybody's known that God said that to David, but people are still resisting it. But now they're saying like, we're we're done with that. What God said is true and we'll obey Him. Verse 3. So all the elders came, they made, and it says they came to the king. So David's not having to go get them. They're coming to him. They're coming under his authority. And not only that, David's going to make a covenant with them before the Lord. And so there is a, a, a relationship that's not, you know, it's not just shaking hands. It's a solemn binding agreement that both of them are coming together saying, we are united, right? Like, and like if either one of us like break this bond, may God like cut us off from the face of the earth often is how you would see that. Like they are, verse four, we find out David was 30 when he started reigning He did that with Judah for seven and a half years and then another 33 years with Israel and Judah combined, the the kingdom united. So a total of 40 years. So that's the kind of the intro of this is like uh, at one level, there's the stability of the promise of God. God said, I'm going to do with this with David and that's happening before your eyes. The other thing that kind of is a visual stability. The kingdom's now united under this one head, this king, this shepherd king who will protect it and, and guide the people. Now it's time for there to be a place fitting for this kingdom, right? It's been given to them uh, by God. It's, it's been instituted by God. There, there needs to be a place. In verses 6 through 10, um, what you see is a place set up for them. And it, but in order for the king to have a place, there are some Jebusites that have been in the way for a long time for setting up a place like the city of David, Jerusalem. And the Jebusites have been that way since like early on. With Abraham, God said like, that land of these people, dot, 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 the, and the Jebusites, that's your land. And so they go to kind of run the Jebusites out. And the Jebusites fight back and defend their position. And they've been doing that. They did it with uh, Judah. They did it with Benjamin, the tribes. And uh, when David shows up, they say, you know what? Let's take the lame and the blind and they'll fight him off. That's kind of the picture. It's almost like an arrogant way of saying for us today would be like, ah, send out our two years olds out there to fight that person. David comes in, lift up our heads. Like, we'll just take, take them out. Well, David comes in, and so the weak 
and, and the ones incapable of fighting is what they say. That's what we'll send out. They'll kind of keep him away. Uh, David comes in and he says, okay, speaking, I feel like, of the Jebusites as a whole, okay, uh, you who think you're so strong, before the Lord's people, before the kingdom, you really are like someone who's blind and lame. And so we'll come and take this um, by storm. You will not ward us off. This is the land that God had given them. This should have been handled well before, you might say. But here now we see this happen. So David goes in. David takes the place from the Jebusites and set up Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. How, how does this all take place? It says in verse, you'll notice in verse uh, 10, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him sometimes like when we've been studying about this remember we said the kingdom like jesus said in the parable is like a mustard seed that's growing uh, when you look at david's kind of start and how all this was kind of uh, taking place you're kind of like man this is nothing i mean in some ways i mean you like if you take the a globe and you try to find israel you're like are you kidding me like this is it this little tiny i can't even find and then, like, you go in and zoom in and think, good night. I mean, this is so small, maybe, and insignificant in some way. But, but what we're seeing is, is God is like, when the Lord is behind him, when the Lord is walking before him or pushing him forward, when the Lord of hosts is there, there's nothing that's going to stop him. He, there's, there should be great confidence. When God's promised to bless this people, God's promised to them. Sometimes when you look at things, like you look at uh, church, you look at the church in America, you look at, and you get all this news and you read about it and you think, good night, this is kind of frightening. The things that once seemed so stable in a community are not anymore. Uh, the beliefs that were once maybe uh, normative are not anymore. And you look at all that stuff and you think, what is happening? And, and at the end of the day, what you have to say is, will the promise of God stand? And, and, and you say, absolutely, and say, okay, then don't worry about the rest of that. You can't worry about the rest of that. You stand on the promise of God. You stand on His promises, and you can be sure that He will do what He says that He will do. So one is stability. It's just saying, these promises made a long time ago, God doesn't forget. You ever had somebody that does that? They'll tell you like, oh yeah, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to do all this stuff. They're always making huge promises within a couple of weeks. Just like they've forgotten. God doesn't forget. And God doesn't use his words lightly. When he says he's going to do it, he'll do it. So one thing about the kingdom you see is stability. Another one is just kind of is prosperity. And this is not in a this is not something to say like, oh, all of y'all are going to be prosperous and, you know, everything's going to be good. You're going to always have this and, you know, you'll be healthy, wealthy and wise. Just don't worry about it. All this. It's not what we're saying, but it is saying like God is doing things to to set up this kingdom in such a way where where it's very clear that God is raising them up. He has kept them in a place of, of really, you could say in some ways you think. Man, all these promises made to Abraham, 
they've been a, in a humble state. Now he's raising up this people. And that's very clear in verses 11 and 12. Uh, this king of Tyre sends over all these uh, the cedar trees. When you see that, it, it, that's a and then the carpenters and masons and David's house is being built. It's like the kingdom is being established, right? This thing of like David hiding in caves and, and like w- wondering whether you're thinking like, is he even going to make it to his 30th birthday? Much less, but I mean, this is ridiculous. The guy's like running, he's on the, he's on the run all the time. And then you come to this place and you're like, man, all of a sudden now, it, the, it looks like everything's begin to change. And what happens is in God's perfect timing, he's putting this together and he's prospering this kingdom. He's establishing it. The Lord had established him king. And it's clear. There, there's a visual representation. Now there's this city. Now he has a home. It's, it's kind of uh, legitimizing probably before the people and uh, before the watching world that there is a kingdom and that the Lord is building it. God has chosen Israel not because they were strong or great, but, because, but for His glory and their good. And He did so because He does whatever He pleases. And so now He's establishing uh, this kingdom. Now I want you to notice something else. What was the purpose? It's not so that David could kind of go around and gloat like and think, oh, how great I am. But look what it says. That he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So the Lord has a focus there. And I think it is important to sometimes say to us, because I, you know, you do get around, even in the Christian community, where they'll be like exalting this person instead of exalting the Lord and thinking about how it's, is it building up the body? Everything's about building up the people of God. It's not, it's not so that you can put someone on a pedestal. It's not so people could talk about the greatness of David. It's so that they could talk about the greatness of God as he blesses his people. Servant of the people becomes more of, or should be more in your minds as a servant uh, of the people, helping push them forward and guide them up and lead them and bless them and do good to them. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, if you were to think about Jesus, uh, this is what Paul kind of brings the church back to. And he says, listen, like complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each uh, of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what does it go on to say? He emptied himself. He became the lowliest of servants. Verse 8, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's almost like the, the, the God was establishing his people and he did so through the humbling or in Jesus offering himself up in, in humiliation. It, it, it's, it's that kind of picture and that's the kind of king and kingdom that we um, 
long to see. That's what we're longing for, that kind of place, that kind of kingdom. And we look to Jesus as our king who offered himself and laid down his life. Now, so we're looking at these snapshots of the kingdom. One is the stability of that promise that God had given. There's, there's a stability there. There's this unity that's come as God's built this up. And then you kind of see this, this prospering of the kingdom. And then thirdly, like you see a blemish. And that, that would be something you're like, ugh. There, there's always this element to where if you read First and Second Samuel, you kind of would look at issues and you would say along the way, you see that this, uh, that David we are to hope in. Uh, David has some flaws. In verse 13 through 16, it says that David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, uh, which likely has um, aspects of even potentially like foreign wives. And you see, it, he does end up, there's still this blessing of like he's having more sons, which grows his kind of influence and power. But there's also this side where you're just like, um, what about the concubines and wives, you know? Well, you'll see later with Solomon, he'll have like 700, and it will kind of draw him away from the Lord. And, and so there's an element here, I think, that we would say, you know what? All of this strong stuff so far, there's still this, these things that where you're like, that's not good. That, that's not, when you get that snapshot and you look in the picture and there's all of these wives behind David, and all of these sons, and, and then there's concubines, and all, you're like, that, that's not really a, put that in the back, you know, like kind of, we don't want to bring that one like up there and say, man, that, this is something to follow. Well, I, I would just say like, these mistakes in his life are costly, and you will see that as we go forward, and we'll see that in his, the life of his son, and so we're saying like, this kingdom, although there's some glorious things here, we're not, this isn't perfect. This is not like uh, this is not what this is not all that God intended. It's always partial. It's not the fullness of the kingdom. The kingdom yet to come is the one that's more full and glorious than what we see here. The fourth thing, look at verses seventeen through twenty-five. Um, you you see how to defend the kingdom. You're going to see how the kingdom is going to stand. So you kind of see its defense. You're going you're gonna to see, like, what, what does it look like for this kingdom to face the onslaught of the enemy? What, what's that going to look like? So, two occasions there. The first one is with the Philistines, and the second one is with the Philistines. Kind of hear that he's been anointed, and now they're going to show up and say, oh, we've got to stamp this out. Now this whole group of people are strong together. When they hear that and they show up, what does David do? Verse 19. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Who's he asked that to? To the Lord. He goes before the Lord. He asks the Lord for wisdom. And the Lord directs him in what to do. And the Lord empowers him to defeat the, those who are against him. Look at verse 20. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. So if my enemies are, are kind of, um, they've built this dam or they built like a levee, the Lord has 
help me break through that. The Lord in His awesome power has sent like a flood to crush that, to push it and break through so that it overcomes them. They have come to take us and the Lord has directed me and, and empowered me and He has gone before me and He smashed down all my enemies. You see a second occasion in verses 22 through 25 that He inquires of the Lord. The Lord says, don't go in the same way as before. Come around behind them. And He says, and when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the, uh, the, the balsam trees, then rouse yourself for then the Lord has gone out before you so the Lord's giving him, he says, just listen. You will hear. Remember when we were talking about earlier, the Lord of hosts has come. You're going to hear the Lord of hosts is going to come out before you. The hosts are going to go before you. And you will know that I have given you victory. There are so many times in the Bible where it's like, uh, I mean, even like you think about when they fought, um, when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I think that there's a song that words made by human hands. They just show up and shout. And the Lord is with them over and over. When you see the Lord doing this, it's really not about like human uh, strength and power and authority. You know, sometimes when I, I was talking to somebody the other day about what people think about um, what it means to be strong. Like some guys, you know, raise their voice, you're going to be really strong and you're going to be this and be that. And they're almost like pumping them up to like have so much confidence in themselves. And you're like spiritual strength is not having confidence in yourself, but rather in God. It's when you see somebody really strong in the Lord. It's not like they're juiced up. Right? These people are on their knees seeking the Lord, and the Lord is delivering him. Uh, David does as the Lord commands him to do. So the Lord protects them through guiding David. He protects him through his awesome power on display. In both occasions, his defense is the Lord. And on both occasions, we see victory. So, four things about the kingdom. We see a stability in the truths that God has given us and the promises He's made, we see this prosperity as He lifts up the heads of those people and He keeps them and watches over them. We see these blemishes where you're like, ah, this is David's not all that he needed to be. And, and there's going to be some issues later. You're just going to be like, David, what were you thinking? And, and we say, like, this kingdom is not the ultimate thing. It's a partial representation of the ultimate that's to come. And fourth, like the defense of that kingdom is not through human wisdom or power, but rather power that comes from the Lord as He directs His people by His Word and they respond in listening and obeying Him. So, one, God's promise stands. You're looking at situations and you think, ah, I've waited, it's just... Or it's so unstable or everything looks like it's kind of crashing down around us. Or the, the, the things that this country were once built on are like just melting away. The promise of God stands. And as His church, we can be confident in His promise and, we, and know that we're standing on solid ground. It's not about just what you can see. It's about that unseen 
promise of God that it doesn't matter if it's hundreds of years later, it will stand. Second, I think you would just say, for us, sometimes, and David could have said a lot of times in his life, is the hand of the Lord against me? I'm never, prosper, I, I just, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I wonder whether I'm going to have something to eat. Are you kidding me? I just want a warm like meal and a place to, to lie down at night. And yet, ultimately, I think for the church, and that's church universal around the world, I think that we have to constantly remind ourselves, like, it's not just a physical Jerusalem you're after. It's the new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, fully adorned, crashing down on this earth, where everything is restored and made right. That's what you're after. That's true prosperity. That's not just like saying, oh, well, like you, you could be like, well, today I've got $100 in my pocket. I'm rolling, you know, like you're just all giddy and, you know, it's like burning a hole in your pocket. I'm just, you know, it's not that. We're talking about a prosperity that is like the, the, what we're really longing for. The, the fullness of the weight of the kingdom coming, crashing down this earth so that everything is made right so that everything is whole so that everything is complete and Jesus said I will go I'm going to prepare a place for you and I also third David's kingdom had blemishes but Jesus the unblemished the perfect one. His kingdom will be without any thing where you'd be like, man, put a little on that. I can see the black eye. There will be none. It will be perfect in every way, not tarnished by sin. So that we too can be made to be like Him. In the end, we look forward to that. Fourth and finally, we know that King Jesus defeated all of our enemies. It wasn't just one skirmish from the Philistines who a decade later would show up again. Jesus fully and finally made powerless all those things that are the deeper issues. David's stuff was like these physical things, this physical kingdom. You can go over there to Jerusalem today, this, and you can zoom in on a, on a map. But the deal is, is Jesus defeated sin, death, hell, and He is Lord of everything. That gives us a defense um, that will never be shaken. So, I hope today as you look at that, you would be reminded of the, the king, of the fact that it will never end. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us an understanding of that. Give us spiritual eyes to see, to treasure, to believe in, to hope in, to long for. Um, the kingdom that has come, but the kingdom that will come in its fullness. As we await that day, we pray that those who are here would stand fast to the very end. In Christ's name.